0: Another push to get a deal on infrastructure. We'll have the latest from Washington, plus Indiana health officials prepare to roll out vaccines for younger children. We'll hear from former state superintendent Jennifer McCormick and Congressman Larry Bouchon, who's also a physician. All that and the potential Indiana impact of an abortion case heading to the Supreme Court next week. It all starts now on this week's edition of In Focus. Including me. But that's what compromise is. That's consensus. And that's what I ran on. President Biden announcing a deal on infrastructure before heading overseas, at least a framework for a deal. As closed-door talks continue amongst Democrats on the president's plan, which spends $1.7 trillion on things like social services and climate change. Democrats have been negotiating the details for months now. We're going to have Republican reaction coming up later today as well. We're also talking about Indiana's coronavirus numbers continuing to go down. This is the CDC is now potentially just days away from giving final approval to the vaccine for children ages 5 to 11, a critical moment in the path out of this pandemic. Kristen Eskow spoke with local health officials to see if they're ready.
1: As Indiana prepares to vaccinate some of its young Hoosiers against COVID-19, several providers say the first shipments of Pfizer doses for kids ages 5 to 11 could arrive early next week.
2: As far as I've uh, been told, there is plenty of vaccine to go around.
1: Elizabeth Swearingen of the Johnson County Health Department says her team is looking at ways to accommodate kids at its current vaccine clinic. But those clinics won't be the only option for families. Children's doses will also be available at pediatricians and family doctors' offices across Indiana. The
3: primary care physicians are the ones who are are most able to uh, provide the appropriate information to patients, and uh, especially uh, parents of pediatric patients.
1: Family doctor Paul Driscoll of Franciscan Health says he expects those offices will open more appointments specifically for COVID-19 vaccinations. He urges parents to talk with their pediatrician if they have concerns about the vaccine or the approval process.
3: It's been reviewed extensively by both uh, FDA and CDC. I certainly, if I had children that age, I would be getting them vaccinated right now. In fact, my my grandchildren are, are, are going to be vaccinated fairly shortly as soon as it, it's available.
1: As health officials work to make the vaccine as accessible as possible to children and their families, some counties are working to ramp up clinics and schools. Christine Stinson oversees the Wayne County Health Department. Not only the COVID, but flu and all the other very, very important childhood immunizations um, every semester
0: available at the schools. All right. And Kristen joins us now. This is obviously something they're watching very closely in Washington as well.
1: Well, that's right, Dan. Federal health officials have been holding regular briefings on this topic. And this week I spoke with Indiana Congressman Larry Bouchon, who's also a physician. He's encouraged people to consider getting vaccinated, though he remains opposed to any vaccine mandates from the government. How would getting this group of kids vaccinated impact the course of the pandemic? Well, right now, I think,
4: I mean, I'm a physician. and I think uh, your viewers know that may know that, um, you know, I think the jury's still out on that. It uh, needs to be a personal decision by the parents, not by the federal government, about whether or not they should be mandated for children to get uh, vaccinations. I think there will be, and also people should talk to their pediatrician and, and get a medical opinion for each individual child, you know, everybody's not the same. There are some children that have underlying medical conditions that may contraindicate vaccination, for example. Uh, so what I'm saying is, is uh, I think it should be an individual decision based on the advice of your physician, your pediatrician, um, and not a federal mandate, because, uh, you know, the, I don't agree with federal mandates in the first place, even for adults. Um, But I I do think, honestly, that that we're early in this process of this virus. It's only been around for almost not even two years yet. So there's a lot of things we don't know. And I think that's where some of the concern um, parents have when it comes to their their young children.
1: So do you encourage parents to at least consider getting their younger child vaccinated?
4: Yes, I do. Uh, But I would talk to your pediatrician, talk to your doctor. Uh, every child is different, uh, every circumstance is different, and there may be uh, cases where people should not be getting vaccinated, uh, or uh, maybe there are cases where they should. Uh, but take the advice of your physician um, and um, go from there.
1: Are you concerned that vaccine hesitancy will hold many parents back from even considering getting their younger kids vaccinated?
4: Well, I think that will be the case, yes. I think, you know, we see vaccine hesitancy um, across demographics, uh, across age groups. So I don't think this will be any different. I think, unfortunately, uh, this has been politicized by uh, the politicians on both sides of the aisle. And there's a lot of uh, good information, but a lot of bad information on the internet uh, that has confused um, um, parents as well as individual adults. Uh, plus, I, I think when you put a government mandate in, like the Biden administration is now mandating a uh, hundred or more employees uh, in the private sector, you, you have to have your employees vaccinated. And so, I think when governments come out with mandates, that just pretty much solidifies uh, vaccine hesitancy because uh, then there's concern that the government's promoting a product for whatever reason, even if it's le- even if it's a legitimate. Uh, concern, uh, if the government mandates things, I think that that worsens, not improves hesitancy. So look, I've been actively promoting vaccination for people who uh, don't have other contraindications uh, based on the data. Uh, But uh, again, I'm a physician, and I would recommend people get vaccinated. But on the other hand, as a congressman, I don't believe that that we should be mandating these things.
1: I also want to turn to the infrastructure and spending talks happening among your Democratic colleagues. It appears several of these proposals that were in the original plan have been cut, uh, such as Medicare expansion for dental and vision coverage, paid family leave. Is there any chance lawmakers could eventually come together to work on bipartisan legislation on any of these proposals that are left out of the current bill?
4: I would think so. You know, there's pro- there's issues related to of course, paid family leave and other things that I mostly think need to be solved in the private sector, honestly, not at the federal level, for example. But you know, education costs for higher education are too high, right? There are things we can do to bring the cost down versus just punting and say, well, the federal government, the federal taxpayer should pay for two years of this because that will just change the system. It won't be like it was before and it'll give more government control to our education system, which I disagree with. So There's a number of education policies, a number of things related to drug pricing, a number of things related to family leave that we could absolutely work together on. I don't think anything's going to happen. I think, you know, the progressives in the Democrat caucus are demanding this larger package be attached to the infrastructure bill. And that's why we can't get infrastructure done in a bipartisan way, uh, which is unfortunate.
1: And obviously a lot going on in Congress this week. Senator Braun also speaking out against that so-called billionaire's tax this week, as lawmakers continue to hammer out the details on these two big infrastructure bills. Yeah,
0: we'll see what happens there. Obviously, the president announcing that framework this week. You spoke there with Congressman Bouchon about the vaccine, and that's obviously something that's going to be uh, very closely watched here in the days to come, including by Indiana educators as well.
1: Well, they are, and this week I spoke with former state superintendent Jennifer McCormick to get her thoughts on the impact here in Indiana.
2: Well, to be honest, I think there's going to be a lot of reluctancy and understandably so. I mean, as a parent, I know it's one thing to go get a shot, at a shot as an adult or with older children, but I think there's a lot of thought that needs to go into that for kids. I would highly recommend working with pediatrician, but I'm a big believer in vaccinations. I'm a big believer in following the science. And there are a lot of agencies and organizations that will put the blessing on that before that is eligible, which um, will come obviously soon. But Um, I would, I would encourage parents to talk to their pediatricians and and really consider getting the vaccination for their kids. It would just make a big difference for the totality of all of us. Do you think
1: schools need to do more to encourage parents to get their kids vaccinated? It's
2: difficult. I mean, in the past, we had a lot of mandated vaccinations and had very little pushback on that, which is a positive. This is a little different. Everything's so new and understandably so, but schools are going to do what they can do, but we're certainly going to have to have help from outside of just the school itself and just the school board and the school leadership and the school nurses. I mean, we're going to have to have some outside entity help with that as far as education and really promoting it and being an advocate to, to get that done. Some
1: have wondered if you're considering a run for governor. Are you planning to run? (laughs)
2: Uh, You know, I haven't ruled anything out. And but there's a lot of time and space between now and 2024. So um, I'm just enjoying what I'm doing now. And I appreciate the email and the text messages and the Democrats and Republicans who have reached out and said, hey, you know, if you do it, we're behind you. So uh, we'll we'll see. Like I said, there's a lot of time big, a big consideration for my family. So we'll have those, those discussions. And I certainly appreciate all the support that's been coming in regarding that.
1: If you were the governor, would you support vaccine mandates for educators?
2: I would. I would support that. And I know it's a very difficult decision. I know healthcare is dealing with it. Law enforcement in some of our states is dealing with it, you know, uh, public services in different arenas. But I would support that. We're, we're in a national pandemic that we've never seen before. And just when we think we're on the other end of it, we have huge surges. So, you know, there is a vaccination. We should celebrate that and utilize the sciences behind it.
1: In addition to a COVID vaccine mandate for educators, would you support mandating the vaccine eventually for students in Indiana schools?
2: Well, and I think that would be a consideration. I think I would have to get a lot of feedback, work with a lot of different teams. And again, that would be down the road in 2024. So um, depending on where we are at the time with the whole COVID piece and if there are, you know, if that um, mutates and there's just a lot of time between now and then to, to put into considerations regarding, you know, how that impacts schools at that time.
1: Well, and Dan, Dr. McCormick also had a lot to say about the impact of learning loss and also the tension at school board meetings lately. She's been touring the state with Indiana Democrats this week visiting various small towns across the Hoosier state. And she does consider herself, of course, a Democrat now after having run for state superintendent as a Republican back in 2016.
0: Switching parties here more or less. Uh, Kristen, thank you so much. We appreciate it. Coming up next, the latest on the legal battle between Governor Eric Holcomb and Attorney General Todd Rokita. Plus, you'll hear what the governor had to say at a health briefing this past week. Also ahead, the potential Indiana impact of the Texas abortion case, which goes to the Supreme Court next week. We'll have the very latest next.
5: We are excited. Our kiddos have been affected by COVID um, with illnesses, missing school, missing sports and activities. And so I know there's lots of parents that are are ready um, to get their kids signed up.
0: State health officials say they expect to start getting child-sized doses of the vaccine Monday and Tuesday, so they'll be ready to administer it as soon as the CDC gives final approval, perhaps Wednesday in all likelihood. And while cases have been trending down in recent weeks, state leaders say they're concerned cases could go up again in November and December like we saw last year.
1: We definitely have concerns about that. I mean, and that's why we really want to get everyone vaccinated. We're not out of
3: the we but we are managing our way through it, and we know... How to arrive on the other side of things by getting
0: vaccinated. Governor Holcomb, though, saying he still opposes any vaccine mandates from the government just as we heard earlier from congressman larry bouchon we're going to talk with our panel right now with us on zoom u indy political science professor dr laura wilson and abdul hakim shabazz from indypolitics.org and here in studio former state party chair for the indiana democrats robin winston former gop lawmaker mike murphy mike vaccine hesitancy has been a, a big issue here in indiana and elsewhere do you expect to see that trend continue in this Age group, and, and what do you make of the state's overall handling of the situation? Well,
6: first of all, I got to tell you, uh, full disclosure, my company does does the issue. governor's communications on yeah. COVID. But hopefully, I can get a little bit of a dispensation here because it's a pretty broad to- topic sure, of public sure. health. Um, I do expect to continue. Um, I think that parent, you know, children are the parents' most you know valuable possessions, and they will go to any length to protect their children's health.
0: Pretty for some, bigger than that, isn't it? The hesitancy issue right now. Yeah,
6: but, yeah. but for some people, it'll mean uh, getting their children vaccinated as quickly as possible. And, but for, for others, it'll mean, no way, I'm not getting my child. I didn't get vaccinated, so my child's not going to get vaccinated. It's still going to be a tough row. I do think the governor is handling it as well as any human could handle it, quite frankly.
0: A lot of political undertones to all of this, too, right? Robin, uh, what are your thoughts on where we are here in this fight against COVID-19 and the many, the many political divisions that have been amplified uh, throughout this last year? Well, they've
7: certainly been amplified. I mean, go to school board meetings and... You know, you're right. People don't even want to wear masks, so I don't think they're going to encourage their children to get a vaccine. Uh, we got to depoliticize this, make it a health issue, let the kids go back to school in good environments, and also recognize the job being done by teachers and our educators and what they're doing to make a difference for these kids in the classroom. The last thing is, let's take the yelling and the rancor out. I mean, now we're going to have yelling and rancor about vaccinating my kids? Nobody's mandating that you have to have your kid vaccinated.
0: Yeah, uh, Laura last year into this year certainly uh the governor held a lot of weekly briefings right as the pandemic got started lately we haven't seen him out there doing it as much uh, until this week certainly governors everywhere have faced a lot of political heat a lot of political heat on these covid related issues really for months now
5: They really have. I I think this is a period we will look back to not just in Indiana politics but nationally as the rise and for some Uh, Not Indiana, but other, other states, the fall of some governors, because there's been an insurmountable spotlight that historically we just haven't seen in terms of state leadership. States have responded differently. States have been impacted differently, and you certainly see that in terms of the roles that governors have played in the last 16 or so months of this experience.
0: And uh, Abdul, uh, at the end of that briefing there, uh, uh, on a lighter moment, uh, your name was mentioned at the end of that briefing uh, on flu shots and COVID-19 as well. Here it is. I was going to say, did we not let Abdul in? There you go. Governor uh, Holcomb uh, making a joking reference to the situation uh, involving uh, Attorney General Todd Rokita, whose staff did not allow Abdul to attend the AG's news conference a few weeks back. This is the attorney general's office. blast the governor for filing an appeal in that case involving the governor's emergency powers and whether the legislature can call itself into session. So, Abdul, all jokes aside here, you have now filed a a public records request with the AG's office. Uh, Separately, the governor now filing an appeal in the case we mentioned a moment ago. What's the latest here on both fronts?
3: Uh, well, uh, basically the courts in the, on the governor's case, the courts have basically given uh, the attorney general till like early November uh, to get their reply in. And the Supreme Court is going to hear the case and expedited, it uh, looks like it's Uh With my case in particular, uh, because I, I emailed the attorney general's office earlier asking, hey, uh, if I'm not going to be allowed in, what is the criteria to be credentialed media? They didn't get back to me. So I filed an official open records request. Uh, they just got back to me saying they received my open records request. Uh, so we'll see, because once again, If the attorney general can ban me, uh, who's been covering Indiana politics for 17 years now uh, from attending a news conference, then he can do it to basically anybody. And for someone who has talked about free speech and open access uh, to government, particularly with the school vaccine mandate situation, school boards, uh, it seems a, a tad bit hypocritical, if I must say so myself.
0: Uh, We should note, uh, you you had a class to teach on Wednesday, which is why you weren't at the governor's briefing. (laughs) They would have let you in, uh, and we did let you in today to the Zoom room as well for this conversation, of course. Uh, Laura, uh, quite a battle that we've seen unfold here, uh, putting Abdul's situation aside just for the moment. uh, Quite a battle between the governor and the legislature and, and Attorney General Todd Rokita.
5: There's a lot of conflict going on, and I think this does underscore sometimes the assumption we make about unified government when people say, oh, well, if you have one party in power, they're able to push through their legislative agenda, they get everything done they wanted, everything that they think is going to happen happens, and you see personalities coming out. I do think you see the differences in constitutional perspectives of what a governor ought to have control over versus what the state legislature and what the attorney general does. As an educator and someone who really likes state government, but doesn't think most people pay attention to it enough. I think that's the silver lining, as people are having these conversations and looking and and questioning where the powers are and who should have what authority. It's much more complicated than a surface level, but they are important conversations, nonetheless, that we should have.
0: So at the state level, uh, some conflict amongst Republicans, as Laura referenced there. At the federal level, we have seen a little bit of conflict amongst Democrats here. You did have the president this week announcing the framework of a deal on these infrastructure bills can they get it to the finish line? Absolutely. You got Joe Biden understands
7: how this works, understands you gotta make compromise. You know, we're fighting over whether or not we wanna have free pre-K, whether we wanna extend childcare credits, whether we wanna make a difference at the kitchen table. Family leave, that's Family, now out of the yeah, bill. But it, but it never was even in any bills before. This yep. is the most historic thing done by a president, Democrat or Republican in our generations.
0: So I think it's gonna be great for our nation. Mike, will this uh, end with the president signing uh, these two bills soon, or is there still well, a lot to work out here? First of all, I think the
6: Democrats, first, they, they beat, they beat uh, Trump fair and square, no doubt about that. But they are in danger of destroying their own victory. And so people like Mike Braun and Todd Young and other Republican senators are watching this Democrat uh, circular firing squad. They're just making sure they don't step into the middle of it. I, you know, I, I will say that Robin's right. There's In, in some of these uh, ideas, there is no language. They're just putting placeholders in. How do you vote for placeholders? It's, it's crazy.
0: It's just absolutely crazy. Fra- framework they don't at have this their point, act together. They're hoping they can get it. Uh, across the, the finish line soon. We'll see We'll see how it shakes out. Uh, finally, Abdul, we do want to talk about the Supreme Court as well, which will take up the Texas abortion cases next week. Uh, how do you see that playing out? How could that impact things here in Indiana in terms of our state legislature, perhaps looking at similar bills down the road?
3: Well, as a lawyer, one thing I would hesitate to do is predict whatever any Supreme Court will do. So I'll take a pass on that one. Um, I do think, uh, like I said, because of the 6-3 to three conservative majority, Uh, It'll be an interesting dynamic to see uh, what happens. Uh, If they do allow the Texas abortion law to stand, uh, I think you're going to see a floodgates of uh, anti-abortion legislation, uh, particularly here uh, in Indiana, which is only going to cause more issues and more strife down the road.
0: We'll see how it plays out. Abdul, thanks. Thanks to you all. They'll be back in just a couple minutes. Coming up next, thousands of visitors here in our state with the return of one one of Indy's biggest annual events. But another big yearly event could soon be headed elsewhere. We'll explain after the break. 50,000 young people have come to Indianapolis from across the state and across the country for the National FFA Convention. This year's event back in person with some virtual elements, but big impact in terms of local tourism dollars. But Indy could be facing some tough competition soon as host city for the NFL Combine. The Circle City has had the event since 1987, but after next year, that could change. Starting in 2023, cities can bid on hosting the Combine. Bids from Indy, Dallas, L.A. already under consideration for 2023. Stick around. We're back to wrap things up after this. All right, time for this week's winners and losers.
6: Michael, start with you. There has to be the FDA, the CDC, and the public health people who are working to get these uh, vaccines approved for the young kids. Be out this week. Robin? Abdul. It's been the Abdul
7: show today, <laughs> so I think it's Abdul. Laura, you're up next.
5: Well, if I can't say Abdul, I would say the city of Indianapolis, 55,000 FFA members in our city. It's great exposure for them to Indiana.
0: Abdul, the floor is yours to wrap it up.
3: FAA is our big winner this week. Uh, Todd Rakita's attack on the First Amendment is a big loser this week.
0: FFA, FDA in there, Abdul a couple of times. We thank you all for being with us. Uh, We'll see you again next week right here on In Focus.